0: In Your Side is a podcast recorded on the various lands of First Nations peoples, land that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. While there's air that is breathed and water that nourishes and provides ownership of this land remains unresolved. Respects are paid to elders past and present in the ongoing quest for self determination and reclamation of land. Everyone, this is M. Welcome to Thorn in Your Side. I'm doing a Lone Wolf episode tonight, and as I usually do with these Lone Wolf episodes, they they tend to serve as a bit of a catch up with everyone, just letting everyone know what's on my mind and what's going on in my end. So, what's been happening on my end since the last episode is that I caught COVID. It was uh, part of the um, the latest. COVID wave, obviously. I got a mild dose, but I am feeling a bit guilty about the fact that um, I ended up giving my parents the plague. They had a bit of a flu as a result. The thing that astounded me was how quick this seemed to be spread. I think the incubation period was about three days, because I can think about three days before I was starting to get symptoms that I was at a theatre, school holidays, and so I was in a cinema watching Lightyear, as it was, and of course that um, is a family movie, so there were a bunch of kids running around, potential germ incubators, so I reckon I got it there, three days later I get symptoms, and then three days after that then my parents catch something, so it is a very virulent virus and I feel like it has been a bit underplayed in the media in terms of how bad it's getting around, although the common sense seems to be that herd immunity is still a thing, so therefore, if everyone gets it, therefore everyone will get a natural immunity. But the information that doesn't seem to be pushing through is that this is a wave that seems to be more resistant to forms of vaccination and also seems to be resistant to any antibodies that people that had COVID in the first couple of waves, that is COVID Alpha and COVID Delta. The antibodies that people got when suffering those strains of COVID are not as effective in dealing with the Omicron variant. So all of this knowledge seems to have fallen away in the mainstream dialogue in that herd immunity still seems like this common knowledge concept, which is a bit scary. And I think if there is a bit of a duty of care to be done here, it's to reintroduce health policy and keeping people up to date on what COVID virus strains can and can't do. I know that there's a lot of talk at the moment about at least bringing masks back indoors, uh, which I think wouldn't be such a bad idea. But in New South Wales, next year is a state election. At the moment, there is a whole bunch of integrity-based issues that have arisen vis-a-vis politicians uh, giving jobs for the mates. Inquiries are ensuing that seems to be taking centre focus. Uh, as it normally is with um, politicians at the parliamentary level. So while that's all being played out, the health policy stuff again would take the back seat, I would suggest. And then by the time this Barolaro integrity bullshit blows over, we'll be getting close to election time and COVID may or may not be a hot-button topic so such is the policy and the political cycles and people wonder why i'm an anarchist so anyway i had COVID, and i'm better now also within this time i had an autism assessment during that time i and this happened a day before my trip to the cinema, so thankfully, I got my contribution to the assessment done and dusted, or otherwise, it'd have to be pushed back, and I was getting pretty antsy about getting stuff happening, so all's well that ends well, I suppose. I took part in my role within the assessment, that is, spending about three or four hours being asked questions, completing questionnaires, all that stuff, Um, family members did the same thing, Close friends, they were given questionnaires, so very comprehensive, and from here, after a bit of stress, trying to figure out where information has gone, and as information's been received, and is there still going to be an assessment, (laughs) all that sort of um, angsty stuff that comes with trying to find answers to inform the rest of your life. I now know that there's going to be a report that's going to happen in a few weeks or to a month. And from there, I can find out what's exactly going on in terms of me being on the spectrum. Any recommendations on how to manage or live my life within the spectrum. But the positive side to it is that it it does answer a lot of questions, explains a lot of things in the past and hopefully it'll make things a lot easier for me and more sensical um, in terms of how I engage with the world. And one of those things I'm hoping where having the autism diagnosis might be a benefit is understanding my relationship with capital T, capital L, V, left. Now, I, I suppose for a reminder for all the folks out there I make a thing about the capital T, the capital L thing, because I do see lefty people, particularly leftist organisations. I might particularly draw attention again to the three organisations that I've kind of named in the past that I, I don't really want to have a bar of anymore. Socialist Alternative, Socialist Equality Party, and Communist Party of Australia. I treat those organizations as persona non grata. I feel that they are very much at the apex of everything that is a syndrome within the left, being a vacuum, being a ghetto from stuff that is meaningful, stuff that involves actually observing, experiencing, responding to class-based struggle. I don't think that that can be rectified through telling a whole bunch of press people what's the best thing for them on basis of an ideologically driven explanation of a benevolent state that will eventually liberate everyone and once it's done liberating everyone, it will wither away. All of this heavily ideologically, theoretically driven, I just don't know how effective or how useful such rhetoric is for people other than those that prosecute the diatribe dogma of which i feel is more so just to impress people within their own organization rather than the greater milieu of working class participants to whom such ideologues should service but they don't they're as useless as fuck sectarianism is a form of bigotry discrimination or hatred arising from attaching relations of inferiority and superiority to differences between subdivisions within a group common examples are denominations of a religion ethnic identity class or region for citizens of a state and factions of a political movement so anyway my autism diagnosis i'm hoping will lead to an improved situation where I can understand, analyze, and appreciate my positioning with these idiots a bit better. <laughs> Sounds promising so far. Now, between episodes, I have become a bit more thoughtful about expressions of class struggle and how obvious or how subtle they might be. Uh, About a week or so ago, I came across a junkie article that was really interesting to me, interesting for some weird reasons. It brings up the idea of quiet quitting, um, (laughs) where, as I understand the concept, it's where people, when they're doing a job, Basically, just do what's required of them under their job description and all the duties and responsibilities that are associated with their means of employment. So, this is where it becomes a bit confusing for me, um, because where is the quiet quitting? You're still performing your job, but what you're quitting is the stuff that is above and beyond that job brief, It's a Junkie article, so the readership of Junkie is very much um, late teens to early 30s, I believe. A generation of peoples that mightn't have necessarily experienced mass unionism, the idea of collective organisation, enterprise bargaining, or even the union process, or even the union. We're looking at a whole bunch of kids that, that don't even aren't even aware of that other than perhaps thinking that union officials mean a bunch of people that are aspiring to go up the labor ladder at best. But anyway, the idea of quiet quitting, it seems to me to be an indirect expression of um, how, how this latest workforce generation is, is grappling with work and the contradictions of work thereof. And the other thing as well is is that the ideal is actually trying to find substantial ongoing work, nothing that's non-contract based, um, something that's actually backed through robust enterprise agreements or employment agreement, instrumentality, and I mean nothing that involves cash in hand, spit on a hand and shake on it, or even platform work, even though, as I mentioned in the last episode, um, there was a landmark decision in recent weeks that um, asserted rights amongst ride-sharing workers. It is a labour market that's still a work in progress in terms of um, establishing some credible workplace rights and assurances, But when it comes to the idea of quiet quitting, there are still these ongoing pressures that compel, I guess, this younger workforce to think, well, if I'm going to hold on to something that I'm um, very lucky to get in a very competitive job climate, and it's very hard to get your foot in, I better do what's above and beyond to impress the bosses, to keep competitive within my job, to be competitive amongst my peers, because when The contract ends, who's going to be left, how am I going to justify this in my CV when I go through the whole process again. These are all the things I imagine are going through this young workforce, but a response or a subtle form of resistance seems to be the idea of quiet quitting. Just doing what one is required per their job description per their work plan or KPIs, if they have those. So in the last five minutes or so, I have teased out the the weird things that can happen when particularly having one's first job out of high school or out of uni, where you want to um, leave a, a good impression as one starts their work journey. But at the same time, you have to cop a lot of things in order to do that or... Do you? And I suppose that's the whole reason why unions still have some merit to join a union, to work collectively with other union members. There should be some opportunity for that, and this should be the type of stuff that should be discussed and rationalised, and maybe look at the the underlying themes that go on with this concept of quiet quitting, as suggested through this junkie article. Is this going to be of interest to union people? I'm not sure. I think this might be a little bit too high concept. I, I, I apologize if I sound so arrogant in saying such a thing. It doesn't fit within the prism of standard union campaigns. It's not so black and white, it's not so clear cut. And plus, as well, like you're also, I mean, the immediate reaction I had when I was reading this article was that this is a very naive workforce. But having a bit more of a thought about it. Perhaps I'm not giving them as much credit or perhaps not being as empathetic to current historic circumstances as they presently stand, and particularly in relation to said workforce to the understandings of unionism and industrial relations. So what does this mean? Um, I know in the last episode, uh, I think we ended it on... When I was talking with John and Fred, talking about concepts of being vigilant and being very observant of signs of workplace struggle, I think they're very subtle. This is a very subtle example, and it also pops up in places that you would not expect. It's no longer that case of going to a rally and becoming more politically aware through the socialisation aspect of that alone, let alone understanding the issues or being there to demonstrate those issues. There are different ways of expression now. They're a bit varied compared to the standard going to a mass meeting or voting a big union ticket vote or going to a rally. It's basically people just like doing things on 20-second grabs on TikTok, ironically riffing on top 40 songs and creating a type of political expression that way. All these quick grabs that are catchy, viral, at its face, non-analytical. But there's a hidden language in there that the kids understand. It's theirs. And perhaps it's subtle because they don't want the older generations like us to really just sink our teeth into it and analyse it and then take it off them. First, let me assure you that this is not one of those shady pyramid schemes you've been hearing about. (laughs) No, sir. Our model is the trapezoid. Or try to bombast it with a whole bunch of ideology and try to socialize it or socialistic it, (laughs) make it socialist, make it leftist-friendly, have it as meat for the grinder of potential organization, Um, systematize it. Um, I think this is all the stuff that, um, that younger people are also trying to rebel against as well in terms of their own political expression. This is stuff worth understanding and I think from there that's where you're looking at what emancipatory politics looks like and I do say emancipatory politics because that that's a lot different to just plainly organising people and organising in the sense of recruiting, making them members of something, showing them what demands are. Having them sign on to demands, maybe having a selfie with them to go into a newsletter for the organization later on to make everything look good and good on a PR standpoint. It's political, but is it emancipatory? I'm not so sure. I think the inquiry for emancipatory politics, maybe just to summarize, is a more subtle, thematic thing to do. And that's the type of stuff that I'd really like to um, continue exploring. I was about to say start to but I think I'm what like 30 odd episodes into it now so I think I've started this project so I'd just like to try to continue doing it and see what comes of it and it might lead me to um where I'd like to go in the next episode there is one or two people I'd like to approach with this as well in that I'd really just like to ask this open question, like, is the left useful? And I don't want to add my automatic bias into this and say they're fucked. There are some properties I think that can be of use. I'd like to use the next episode to tease that out, perhaps be challenged myself um, and be tested in some of the prejudices that I Definitely have within the left, particularly born through the trauma of things. And that's another thing as well. Like, I'm still trying to grapple with the fact that, like, I'm only finding out about autism stuff now. There was a good 20 to 30 year window where I just didn't know what was going on with myself. And what was an attempt to answer a lot of the questions was lefty politics and trying to organise or organizing and doing some work and trying to be in solidarity with some organizations like some good organizations some of those yuck organizations that I've mentioned earlier where you kind of feel like how much time have you got in your life for this sort of shit how much time can one spend in the ghetto what are the useful things to pass out of such activities rather than just going into it fully fledged, fully committed, unconditionally, and thinking it's all just going to come out in the wash because one is doing the right things. I think all of this stuff can be involving a bit more of a, a purposeful inquiry, examination, and reflection. And that's what I would like to try to do the next episode. And... Potentially just moving forward in future episodes after this, I've talked a lot about union stuff in this episode. I'd like to try to dovetail it with what I started off with, with my having COVID between episodes and the gaps that seem to exist still within public health policy in terms of the response to COVID. I think there is a response that can be made for the left on both counts. And um, this is stuff that we definitely explored in the last episode, which whilst it did create um, an amount of battling within the left itself, (laughs) as I um, uh, mirthfully mentioned, uh, particularly being carried out on one Fred Fuentes Facebook page between different sections of the left about How's the best way to respond to COVID? I think all of this stuff on an emancipatory, class-based, class-responsive, struggle-focused perspective involves at least not only just couching everything within a labour-based perspective, that is, if one identifies or becomes politically expressive in regards to one's labour and one's labor rights, and how many more rights one can access, or how much autonomy one can have in the work that they do, I think it can also be extended into other fields or expression as well. Um, and that's where the intersection, intersectionality of politics comes into it, and that's where the intersectionality of politics is relevant in this day and age, despite the fact that that would piss off a whole bunch of tankies in saying such a thing, because it's too liberal. But no, there can still be a class basis on it because it provides an indicator of class based demands, ironically enough. There are health needs that, that people have, there as well as the labour needs. We're seeing this through this current pandemic. It's all linked together. There's people talking about quiet quitting, you know, there's the, the subtle ways that people are expressing these needs. All of this be put together, all of this is up for analysis and observation all of this can be couched within generalising the idea of social needs and working out what it is general struggle, um, it's not specific to a bunch of demands upon an organisational platform and this is the stuff I'll just keep saying and keep saying and hopefully enough people would listen And those are the people that I would like to gravitate to. So from there, that's what I'd like to do moving forward. I'd like to try to get this stuff onto YouTube. I keep saying that um, having the COVID has zapped me a bit. So it has been put on the back burner. But I'd like to really look at it and hopefully look at ways of, of maybe even making myself visual so if it is going to be on YouTube if I'm doing a lone wolf episode can I do this where I'm actually filming myself and then uploading it so got to get my head around that too apparently the kids just use like a a smartphone and a blue ring light um, and away you go Uh, not those blue ring lights that um, attract mozzies or anything sorry what is it the those ring lights that aren't blue Uh, (laughs) to provide the adequate lighting so I've just got to remember to powder my nose a bit, so my nose does not shine in the light, and away I shall go.
1: So anyway, this is
0: all this stuff that um that I'll be I'll be looking into. So anyway, uh, I feel like I'm I'm rambling a bit because I want to get close to that thirty minute mark, but I might just um keep it shaved within thirty minutes for today. Thanks everyone, and I will see you next episode. Cheers. One last drugs please.